Yesterday morning, about 20 men gathered here at Calvary for a men's breakfast where they've been learning and uh, we've been walking through what it means to be a kingdom man. Um, and I just appreciate all you guys who were here yesterday. Um, another sign of life here at Calvary, those men committed to the church, committed to becoming the men that God wants them to be in their homes and their jobs. And yes, even in serving the Lord here at Calvary. So um, just a special moment. Last night, the praise team, uh, they were in downtown Gretna playing last night. It's about nine o'clock. Gretna had a little soiree last night. And so they were invited and um, a lot of people in the uh, community that were there last night, you know, as they played, they said, well, where are you from? Um, and they would tell them, you know, oh, you mean that new church on General de Gaulle, right? Because they noticed uh, the new sign, the new lights. Uh, man, that place is really pretty. Well, it's been there for a long time. You just can see it now, right? Um, another testimony um, to your faithfulness during the midst of pandemics, shutdowns, hurricanes, challenges. Um, listen, we're doing it. Life, right? Life, the life of Christ coming back to life and being the church that God's called us to be. Uh, yesterday was just a special day as we launch into this week because... As the children of God, saved by Jesus, with faith in Jesus, um, you have a job to do. We have a job to do. We have a mission. Um, we are a part of his family being built up. We are part of the household of God. We are a part of the priesthood of God. And we are to serve him, bringing sacrifices to him that are acceptable through Christ Jesus. Yesterday was a beautiful day of that. You know, as I look at this week, today is the day that if you read your Bibles and you go to Matthew chapter 21, you go to Luke chapter 21. Matter of fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 24 in connection to what we're going to read as we continue through 2 Peter today, today would be that day that you might call Palm Sunday if you've been in church um, perhaps your entire life. It is the Sunday prior to the resurrection of Jesus. It's the Sunday prior to the crucifixion of Jesus, which on Good Friday, 6.30 this week, we will have a moment to remember the power of his sacrifice and what it means to the family of God, the children of God. On that day, Jesus goes into Jerusalem. He goes into Jerusalem um, this Sunday, not specifically this Sunday, but we use it to celebrate because it reminds us of a triumphal entry. Um, the people were so excited about Jesus and who Jesus was. But if you read the scriptures very, very closely about what really happened on that event, what the people did is they said, here comes Jesus, the prophet. That's what they said. As a matter of fact, if you read those uh, stories, they even say, here comes Jesus, the miracle worker. So what had the crowds really in a frenzy over Jesus was the fact that um, he told some really great stories. Best preacher you've ever heard. Um, he did some really great miracles. So if you were impacted or you saw these life-giving moments that Jesus did, you knew there was something special about Jesus. And therefore, kind of like a big concert or an emotional experience that many of us might have, man, they were all on Team Jesus at that moment. He was like the Super Bowl winner at that moment. He was the MVP. But what you see in the week that transpires, matter of fact, it doesn't even take a week between the triumphal entry on that Sunday where people literally, for Jesus, 
were taking off their coats and laying them in the road so that Jesus on his donkey could ride over them on their coats, their fancy clothes, within five days they're yelling, crucify. I mean, literally, it doesn't take seven days. Now, now before we get too, you know, against the crowd and go, gosh, I can't believe they would do that. I realize that many times we come to church on Sunday and by lunch, we're cursing out the waitress, right? <laughs> you come to church and, and then by Monday, it's like, well, back to business as usual. So before you get you know, too against or too negative against the crowd then, the truth is that happens in our lives. And, and in our lives, one of the things that we need to recognize and learn from this entire week, the passion of the Christ week, is that that sacrifice that he makes for us on Friday and the resurrection on Sunday, which we will celebrate next week, it's all about life change. It's all about first the eternal life, the spiritual life that God does within the heart of a person who believes in him. First, forgiving their sins, taking their sin debt away from them, cleansing and giving them a clean soul. That's the first part. But that's not all of the good news. That's not all of the story of salvation. A lot of people stop there. And if you stop there, usually what happens is between your hallelujah Jesus moment and your next Friday, you're crucifying him somewhere in your life. Because it's just a spiritual experience. It's an emotional experience. And a lot of people, that's their relationship with Jesus. And it stops there. It's a good moment to go to church, tip the hat, nod to Jesus. Yeah, he's, he's a good man. He's a prophet. He's a miracle worker. I felt something one time, you might say. Or, or yeah, it's cool. He forgives me of all the bad stuff that I did and that I keep doing. And that's how we approach Jesus. But if we stop there, then, then really we miss the power of what the next Sunday, literally seven days later, happens. And that is the resurrection. And the resurrection that we will talk about next week is this reality that Jesus just didn't just die for sins and feelings and forgiveness. No, he, he died to rise again, to give life. Perhaps during your spring season, we've, we've intentionally tried to set this up for you. You've seen something dead come to life, maybe um, in your actions, maybe in your faith. Perhaps it's practical. Like, like this week, um, yesterday as I'm on my way up here early uh, to study and to be with the, the men that were doing the Bible study together. I'm coming down Woodland Highway, and as I'm driving down Woodland Highway, along the whole side, there's all these pink and white flowers, right, that, that we are known for down here in South Louisiana. And they're all along the side of the highway. It's just beautiful. I'm like, it's life. Now, they'll last for a season. They'll be gone. But it was just gorgeous with the sun up yesterday and these flowers in bloom. Life. There has to be evidence of life change when Jesus comes into your heart. There must be the evidence of life change. And when we read this passage today, and we're going to pick right up. And, and I know because immediately when I laid this out for us to study through 
the book, the letter of Simon Peter, the first letter and the second letter. Um, I laid this out so that I could hit today's passage on this day and I could hit next week's passage on Resurrection Sunday. And when you read this passage today, you're probably going to go, what in the world does that have to do with Palm Sunday, preacher? I mean, thematically, come on, you know, we're good Baptists or we're good Christians or we know it's Palm Sunday. We should be reading the Palm Sunday text. But I think it's very appropriate if you place yourself in the crowd that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. Because the crowd that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem was at one point, Hosanna, glory in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail King Jesus, right? But then literally, because there was no evidence of life change, they liked him as a miracle worker, they liked him as a person, they liked him as a storyteller and a preacher and a prophet, but they didn't like him as a savior. And so there was no evidence of life change. The rah-rah pepper rally on Palm Sunday did nothing to change their hearts. It took a crucifixion and a resurrection for them to realize who he truly was. And today, when I think about the evidence of life change, which is what I've called today's message, I think there's some clear signs of what life change looks like. And I think there's some clear signs that Simon Peter highlights of what life change doesn't look like. So we'll continue in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10 through the end of the chapter. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10 through verse 22. So picking up where we left off, he said in verse 9, God knows how to rescue his righteous children from their temptations. Isn't that good news? God knows how to rescue his righteous children. That would be you, those who have a right relationship with him through Jesus Christ. That's what Simon Peter's been talking about. God knows how to rescue you. God knows when to show up for you. God knows what you need. God knows. But then he also says, and he's also reserved judgment for the unrighteous. And so Simon Peter makes this separation between those whom God knows that are his children that are right with him through Jesus. And he knows that there's something reserved for those who are not right with him. Then he goes on and he talks about what that looks like. And this is what it looks like. Verse 10. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires... And despise authority. They are daring, self-willed. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power, they do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured or killed, Reviling where they have no knowledge will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse 
with you. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water and mist driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by, look, fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape. From the ones who live in error. They promise them freedom. While they, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man or a woman is overcome. By this that person is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world. By the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it. To turn away from the holy commandment that was handed to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Now, when you read this, and this is Simon Peter, the apostle, who writes this letter to the believers and the churches in the regions beyond Rome, and he writes this just a few years before he would be, by church tradition, crucified upside down at the hands of Emperor Nero, and he writes this just a handful of years before AD 70. AD 70 is when Jerusalem and all of the nation of Israel was ravaged and destroyed by the Roman Empire at that time. And Nero, by the way, used Christians, followers of Jesus, as the excuse for him to implement a total destruction of Israel and ultimately the fall of the Roman Empire at that day. And he used people like you as the reason for its demise. Simon Peter writes these letters. And, and while you read this, and I read this, and you go, man, what a negative guy. Man, he's, he's talking about people in a way they ought not to be talked about. I mean, the truth is, if you read this passage in light of a 2022 enlightened American or, or world perspective, um, you might think this guy was really judgmental. Um, you might think that, um, gosh, he's bigoted, right? And he's biased against people. You might read this and go, man, this guy is really irrelevant. He's one of those hellfire brimstone preachers. But then you have to go back and you have to ask yourself, where did Simon Peter get that message? And you know where he got the message? He got it from Jesus. He got it from Jesus because if you go back to the Easter story and the events of that Palm Sunday where the people were like, Hosanna, praise God, Jesus is awesome. And by Friday they're like, Jesus stinks, let's crucify him, get him out of here. If you go back to the story, what you see, Matthew chapter 21, is followed by Matthew chapter 24. 
And in Matthew chapter 24, once Jesus comes into Jerusalem, Jesus actually gives a prophecy. And he gives a prophecy in Matthew chapter 24, and he says, people are going to go from bad to worse. Children are going to turn against their parents. Parents are going to turn against their children. Households are going to be divided. And you as Christians are going to be handed over to the authorities. And you're going to have to give an account for your testimony of me to the authorities. And they are going to persecute you. And it will happen and it will go bad from bad to worse. And you will see all of this desolation happen. Matthew chapter 24. He also echoes that in the gospel of Luke chapter 21. When you go through the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's come in this triumphal entry. And yet he says, let me tell you what's actually going to happen. And he prophesies, he tells in advance the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. But he doesn't just stop there. He does talk about a future historical event that would happen post his crucifixion, resurrection. And he does talk about what would happen to the temple in Jerusalem and to the Christians who would follow him. And he was spot on. But then he goes on and he says, but this is not the end because this will continue until there is a time where he will return again, where you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. And that event has not happened yet. Simon Peter, as a follower of Jesus, now this is the same Simon Peter that he walked on water, right? The same Simon Peter that wanted to build an altar to a couple of other guys and God said, no, 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 it's not Elijah. No, he's the prophet and I get it. Jesus fulfilled all the prophets. And yes, Moses is there and yes, Jesus fulfilled all the law, but it's, it's not about him or him, it's about Jesus. Simon Peter had to learn and grow through that who Jesus was, right? And Simon Peter, yes, same, same Simon Peter that denied Jesus three times. Three times. But also was affirmed by Christ three times. And you go on and you read about him being the one who would help build the church. Build up the people of God. The followers of Christ with the rest of his life. Yes, he writes of this because he heard Jesus say it. And basically what he was telling the churches then is they were living on the cusp of one of the most destructive times in the history of Israel. And also in the history of the world. He was telling Christians like you. You will know the evidence of those who follow Jesus. And those who do not. You will be able to see the evidence. And the evidence of those who follow Christ. And those who do not. Is all about life change. It's not about judgment. It's about life change. When you encounter Christ. Do you stand out and are you different? Because of the way that you relate to God. And to the people around you. And as the world continues to progress, your relationship with Jesus will stand out in such a way that the evidence of your life change, because it doesn't look like what they want it to look like, you will be persecuted. And Jesus says that. Why would Jesus say that? Because just a few days after saying this, guess what happened to him? He was crucified. For you. For me. To show that God's way is not the world's way.
What's the world's way? Well, Simon Peter writes about that and he highlights it. And let's be very clear. He writes it about people outside of the church. But he also incorporates in there that these things affect people inside of the church. These are issues that are common to people, men and women around the world. And yes, they're common to Christians. The evidence of life change is what makes you different from these things. Here's the life lesson today if you're taking notes. We'll break this passage down and I think this principle is very important for us today. As we begin a celebration week thinking about Christ and what he's done for us and how that's changed us. We bloom. We bloom. How do we bloom? When we reflect the evidence of life change that is only revealed in a life surrendered to Christ. We bloom when we reflect the evidence of life change that is only revealed when we have a life that is surrendered to Christ. Life change does not happen without surrender. There has to be a surrender of our way and of our will, and we have to surrender it to someone who has a greater authority, and we acknowledge that than ourselves. When we surrender our will, our heart, our way by faith to Jesus, that's the only way that life change begins to happen. Let, let's be real for just a moment. Have you ever tried something and it doesn't work out for you very well? Maybe uh, you were in a relationship and it, it went the wrong way and it just didn't work out well. Yeah, don't do that again, right? Or maybe it was a craft. You were trying to build something and instead of building something, you made it worse, right? You were trying to fix something at home like a pipe or something. And all of a sudden, you flooded your house. It didn't work out very well for you, right? Um, maybe you over-fertilized your yard one time. I remember one time I, in the spring, I was planting some bushes and, and of course, uh, I had just been married a little while. I'm like, oh, let's fertilize these bushes, right? And boy, I put too much fertilizer on them. Those bushes didn't make it a week, right? They didn't work. Sometimes in life, we try things, but they just don't work. They don't fit. They're not a part of success. They're not a part of life change in the right direction. Simon Peter highlights a lot of things that just don't work. They won't work for you. They won't work for anyone else. But sometimes people are hell-bent on doing it their way because they're not going to surrender to the way of Christ, to the way of God, that they'll just keep doing it. And it looks good, but it doesn't work. These are the things that Simon Peter highlights because even Jesus said, this is the way the world will work, but this is not who you are. The world will praise Jesus on one day and crucify him just a few days later, but that's not the story. The story is for those who understand that he wasn't just a prophet, a person that was a good preacher, a miracle worker. No, he's the son of God who sacrificed to save their soul and who lives again, and he's worth following. He's worth surrendering to, and he changes lives. You see, a life change is reflected in a few ways, and I think this is really the antithesis of what Simon Peter is revealing here. He talks about the way the world works, but how does that work for you? How does that work for you today, living in the same kind of world that people lived in then, same kind of challenges today, they faced them then? How does it work for you? And the people of God are different when they surrender to Christ. They bloom in a different way because, first of all, they are people who understand this word called repentance. They are people who understand repentance. Last week, we talked about the gospel. 
And the gospel is the euangelion, the good news of God. The good news of God is that we did not deserve to be saved, to have Jesus sacrifice for us, but he did it anyway. We were a part of a crowd that said, crucify him. And he said, I'm going to die for you anyways. We're part of the people who praise him on Sunday and live our own way on Monday. And yet it didn't stop him from saying, I love them enough to rescue them and to sacrifice myself to save them. But for that gospel to be applied to anyone's life, for that gospel, that good news that God loves you and God would sacrifice his son Jesus to save you, for it to become personal, it's not just knowledge. It's not just tipping the hat. It's not just, oh, he's a good man. It's repentance. Repentance is this deep surrender of saying, my way doesn't work, but God, your way does. So I turn from my way to your way. What keeps most Christians anemic, particularly as we think about a week like this week, what keeps most Christians from experiencing life change is the failure to repent. But Christians who bloom, people who grow, who embrace Jesus, they understand what it means to repent. They understand that it means we must turn away from things that don't work and don't fit and surrender and turn to Christ, his way. Now, for many, repentance is a process, but it is a process in motion. It is a process in action. A lot of people struggle with a particular area of their life. It could be something they were raised with. It could be a bad habit. It could be a bad thought process, attitude. Sometimes it's re re reflected in actions that are inappropriate. Repentance is the acknowledging that that is not who I am, nor who God's called me to be. And he saved me from this, so I have to surrender that area of my life to Christ. The failure to repent is to hold on to that irregardless. The failure to repent and turn to God is to say, there's nothing wrong with my attitude. Matter of fact, I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to be proud of it. There's nothing wrong with my actions. Everybody else does it. It's legal. It's acceptable. It's cultural. It's a norm. So I'm just going to embrace it. This is how God made me. None of those things are repentance. And Simon Peter goes through this text that we just read. And he says, let me paint for you a picture. Which, by the way, go back and look. Matthew chapter 24, right? Luke chapter 21. And Jesus actually was giving his disciples. And guess what? Simon Peter listened. <laughs> you actually have a re-recording of a lot of it right here in the scripture that we're talking about. Simon Peter listened. Wow, people are just not going to follow you, Jesus. But I have a choice to make. Am I going to be a part of a crowd? Or am I going to be committed? Am I going to turn and repent from my way? As a follower of you and experience the life change that only happens when I surrender to you. There's a lot of times that we will listen to sermons, that we will read scripture, and we take those as a great suggestion. Simon Peter gives a list of great suggestions here. 
And he basically says, hey, Christian, hey, believer, hey, follower of Jesus, here's a list of what it looks like when you're not surrendered to Christ. People who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires. Have you ever done that? You ever experienced that? People who despise authority. I think we live in a generation who has a very low respect of any form of authority, whether it be political or pastoral. And so we, we gossip and we talk about our own opinion. We elevate ourselves, right, instead of elevating to the level of Christ. People who are self-willed, they don't even tremble when they revile angelic ma majesties. So in other words, they can take the name of the Lord in vain easily and not even think about it because it's second nature to them. Like an animal trying to survive, so are they just living life. Simon Peter says that's the evidence of a life that's not changed. But he, he goes on, he says, even angelic authorities don't revile them when they could, but they hold their tongues when reflecting them to God. Even spiritual angels, the spiritual beings, don't judge us. Because they know that ultimately there is one judge. And we're not it and they're not it. It is the Lord. And he's watching. He's paying attention. And what's he paying attention to? The evidence of life change. The evidence of life change because of Christ and who he is. Is reflected as the opposite of the things that we read about. And the only way that you experience the opposite is to turn from what is. Simon Peter lists these things and he says repentance. As I read this, I understand the power of repentance is that for me as a believer, these things do not fit someone who has received the good news of Christ. Do they tempt us? Yes. Because he says, you... As you, they have some of these people are among you, enticing you into these ways. So even in the church of that day, the Christians of that day, living in a pagan culture of that day, they were tempted, challenged in the same way that you are as well. But Simon Peter just simply says, that's not who you are. God knows how to rescue the righteous, but this is what the unrighteous looks like. This doesn't fit. This, these character traits don't define who we are to be as followers of Christ. And therefore, to move out of the crowd, but into the committed, it begins with a repentance, a surrender of our will and our heart to Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Likewise, as I look at this passage, these things show something about who we are. We are not people only who repent. We are people who know the truth. We are people who know the truth. Simon Peter writes these things, and he doesn't write them as a matter of opinion. A matter of fact, just as today, perhaps many people would read these things and go, gosh, I, I can't listen to him. Well, right, and therefore you really can't listen to Jesus. You see, you don't get to discern error based on your own experience alone. You don't get to formulate truth just based on your opinion. I mean, we've even seen publicly what happens when someone takes things into their own hand, literally, 
and then they get banned from certain organizations for 10 years and everybody all of a sudden goes against that person who's a popular individual. You've seen that happen. But in that person's mind, what they did was right at the time until everybody turns against them and then it's wrong. Well, there's no way to live consistently in this world if we're formulating truth based on a moment, an experience, or an opinion. Simon Peter only reflects very truly what Jesus actually said. Look, there is truth and there's error. And the people of God who have been rescued by Jesus, they understand the difference. They know that truth comes from God. They know that Jesus is what he said he was, the way, the truth, and the life. They know that Christ is the truth. They know that life comes from Christ. And they are people who know the truth. As you read this passage, what you see is that people will embrace all of these things that have been said. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blem blemishes. They revel in deception. They carouse, look at this, with you. <laughs> they have eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. They are unstable. They have hearts trained in greed. They forsake the right way. They go astray and they follow the way of false teachers like Balaam. These are the words that Simon Peter points out to help his Christians of that generation and you and I today and ours understand these are not the ways of the truth. The truth, Jesus says, we would know it and it will do what? It will set us free. To know Jesus is to know the truth and to know that you have been set free from things that do not fit will not cause you to bloom, and will capture your soul and enslave you. He actually uses that word. Now think about it. Because that word does stir up a lot of emotions for a lot of different people, a lot of thought processes, but it doesn't make the truth that Simon Peter is communicating any less applicable for us today. Anything that owns you, that has authority over your life, that captures you by way of temptation, by way of incorrect thoughts, by way of habits, by way of attitudes, by way of heart direction, anything that captures you and holds on to you, it owns you. It owns us Christians. We become enslaved to that. Now, who wants to be enslaved to anything? Not me, not you, no one. We don't want that. It, it makes us bristle. Simon Peter says that's exactly what it's like when you deny the truth and you don't repent. That attitude, that bad attitude, it owns you. And therefore, you become owned and identified by that bad attitude. That loose mouth that just pops off all the time. Untruths about someone else or sows seeds of doubt or gossip. Or you just let them fly all the time. That tongue owns you. That bitterness that you hold on to because, man, it didn't work out the way I wanted or I didn't get my way or I don't like this person. You're owned by that bitterness. And the only way you break free from any of those things, not to mention also the obvious sins, right? <laughs> the only way you break free is a life surrendered to Jesus whereby I repent of that sin because I know it's not God's truth. It doesn't fit who I am. 
That's what begins to set the people of God free, even though we live in a world that is just as challenged as the world they lived in. We begin to become the people of God who stand in the truth of God. We know the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. And therefore, we can see the difference between truth and error. The difference between a life that blossoms and grows and a life that shrivels up and dies. In our faith, that is the greatest challenge because so many times in our faith, we shrivel because we're not surrendered. We shrivel because we embrace all of these characteristics or even some of them and we make them our norm instead of following Jesus our norm. And the more that you embrace the world, the more that I embrace the world, the more that I embrace these characteristics which are not true, the more that it stunts my growth, the more that it takes over my mind, the more that it harms my attitudes and my actions and therefore I cease growing. I become more like what I read here, and then I fit into a crowd. And it's a crowd that easily, when it's convenient, says, yes, Jesus. But when the crowd shifts, do we shift with the crowd? When the culture shifts, do we embrace the culture? Do we look just like the world in our thoughts, in our speech, in our actions? Or do we look different because we have surrendered to Christ and therefore we experience and reflect evidence of a life changed? You see, there's only one way for this to happen. There's really only one way for this to happen. The only way that you and I can experience true life change, the evidence of life change, is by the last part. And that is we have to follow Jesus. We have to follow Jesus. Repentance means that I acknowledge I'm not in charge. He is. I go his way. Truth is I turn away from the things that don't lead toward God's will in my life. They are error. They don't add up. They're not going to lead to success. You can look at them and go, boy, that's not going to add up for a life that's going in the right direction. I don't want that in my life. So you turn from error. You turn to truth. And to do so means that you become a person and we are people who follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus means that we turn aside these character traits from these character traits, from these actions and attitudes and habits. And that yes, the evidence of life change in us means that we are going to be different, that you as a child of God are going to look different. You are going to make a different stand in this world than the world would make. And the world will always stand against Jesus. The world will always stand against Jesus. It will. Jesus said it. He promised it. He prophesied it. To be popular as a Christian is to be persecuted every time. But Jesus actually gives us something greater. He talks about, as he concludes Simon Peter, that there is this knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And some people embrace the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then they return to where they came from. And it would be better for them, Simon Peter says, if they had just not known about Jesus. Why? Because number one, it's damaging 
to the people around because, oh, yeah, you and Jesus, yeah, he's nothing, he's nobody. Praise him one day, crucify him another, right? That's what Simon Peter's talking about. He witnessed it firsthand. He actually did that firsthand. I don't know the man. I really don't know the man. I really, really, really don't know the man. He's just like you and I. So when he writes this letter, he helps us understand from his own failures that didn't work. And what did he do? He realized in his life, gosh, I failed. It didn't work. That was wrong. I was off the mark with God. And therefore, now I'm committed and I'm going to follow Jesus. You and I, as children of God this week, as people looking for God's way and God's will and God's design and God's purpose for our lives, how do we reflect a true life change experience? Following Him, loving Him, surrendering to Him, recognizing that these areas in our life, they simply don't fit. So, if you harbor, if I harbor hatred against a brother or a sister, if I look at someone differently because of where they came from, their background, perhaps their color, if I judge someone by their actions and I'm quick to judge them, but I don't take the log out of my own eye before I try to take the speck out of theirs. Or even worse, if I'm trying to judge the world, who very clearly, Simon Peter says, you can identify them instead of judging myself first, instead of helping my church first, my fellow Christians first. If I'm trying to be the authority over the world instead of serving God in my church, then I'm way off because I'm not following Jesus. There's this choice, and I think this Sunday is a great Sunday leading into this upcoming week. Your Bibles will have a listing in your Bibles if you read them for each day. An event of the day that Jesus did. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We will remember the big ones, so I encourage you to be in church this week. 6.30 as we celebrate and remember communion. Saturday, he's in the grave. And Sunday, we celebrate his life. To follow Jesus is to live. To follow Jesus is to know, God, I've repented. Jesus, you are the truth. And I will follow you because I want the evidence of life change to show. Can I pray for you? As we bow our heads today and as we think today of where we are as a person in our relationship with Jesus, it's one simple question that I would ask you today. Are you in the crowd of the world that says, yes, Jesus? Are you in the committed that would follow him anywhere? Jesus wants us to move out of the crowd. As his children, he died for more than us to just be the crowd. He died so that we could be his children, saved changed, living to make a difference for his name in our world. God, I pray for every man, woman, and student in this room today, every person, those who know you personally, authentically, by faith, 
and even those who know you from a distance. Maybe they've been a part of a crowd or they've heard about you. or God, maybe even there are some who they've rejected you because they've seen bad examples. Thank you for your goodness toward all of us. Jesus, your true passion to go to a cross to save anyone who would turn to you as the truth to save their souls. As I pray even now for each and every one here and online, there are some who I know even right now, your Holy Spirit, beyond even my words, your Holy Spirit is drawing them closer to you right now. They know that they've never surrendered their heart, their will, and their faith totally to you. If that's you right now and you sense God is speaking to you, He's drawing you in and, and it is a matter of you surrendering. And you can do that by saying, God, I hear you. I know who I am. And I hear you speaking of who you want me to be. So today, Jesus, I give you my will. I place my faith in you as my Savior. Save me and change me. And I want to serve you with all my heart as I follow you. If that's your prayer today, then you, by an act of faith, turning from your way to the way of God, have entered the family of God through Jesus. And that's the greatest step that you could ever make. Likewise, for the rest who you know Jesus, but maybe it's time to turn to the truth, your actions, your life change, to lay down this week at the feet of Christ areas of your life that have been dark, that are empty mists. They look like storms, but they're empty. To turn that over to Jesus right now, whatever that may be, and lay that down at his feet, Christian. Walk away and walk toward him. God, we're thankful for how you work in your people. And we know that because of what you've done, Jesus, we can be changed. It's okay to follow you because we know that you're just better, that your way is life. And we want to embrace that. In your holy name, all God's people say. back of your chairs, there's a response card. Those will be there and I, I encourage you, perhaps today you're working through what you heard or you know God's speaking to you about something, but maybe you can't totally express it or put your finger on it. I'd like the opportunity to follow up with you. There's a response card. Just take that, fill that out. You can drop that off at our, at our guest table in the back. And We'd love for you to put action to how God is speaking to your heart. That's life change. That's the evidence of life change. This week is a powerful week. So as we think about this upcoming week, we've added a piece to Good Friday this week. There is in the back, you will see them, our bloom where you are planted walls. And there's a strategic part of your spiritual growth that's been incorporated into that. There are cards on tables back there. And you can grab those today, take them with you, bring them back Good Friday. 
But we're going to, on Good Friday especially, take some time to do that, to be able to pray, God, where is it in my life that I can bloom where I'm planted? How is it, God, that I can grow in my relationship with you? And we want to write that down. And we want to place that on the wall because that is an action step to not only hear a message, but to apply it to your life. So I want to encourage you, maybe grab that card today on the bloom where you're planted wall. You'll see it back there. You can take it with you. Bring it back Good Friday or bring it back Good Good, uh, bring it back Good Friday or bring it back with you on Easter. But it's an action step. This week is why, really, the Super Bowl of Christian faith, this is why we celebrate. So I pray that today allows you to move in that direction of growth, of life change. Thank you for your giving, by the way, as you continue to give. Last week uh, was just a phenomenal week, but it happened because of the faithfulness of your giving. Your giving of your tithes, your offerings to the ministries and the things that we do for families of which you are able to see. You can do that in person or you can do that online. So thank you for being faithful with that. Now make your plans to be in church next Sunday. Take that card, give it to somebody, bring somebody with you. Good Friday. We're going to have coffee, right, for you on Easter Sunday to wake you up like Jesus. If he can wake up early, so can you and get to church, right? We're going to have donuts for the kids next week, so I'm looking forward to celebrating that with them, as well as the Easter egg hunt for them, the other activities for them, and all the things that we're going to do to celebrate together the resurrection of Jesus. Will you stand to your feet? We're going to sing one more song as we celebrate today before you go. God bless you all, and thank you for worshiping with us today.